Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. We're in the book of Jude, and if you have a Bible, it's at the end. Go to the book of Revelation, the very end, and then one book back, the book of Jude. It's one chapter long. You could read it right now in about five minutes. If you don't even read good or don't read fast, you could read it in 10 minutes. It's really, really short. It's really, really condensed. If you don't have a Bible, there's some along this wall. And I just want to talk about what we were just doing. Um, We're going to study the Word. We're going to go line by line through about verse 8 to 16 today. Next week, we'll go 17 to about 20. And then the week after that, our big friend, I don't know why I called him my big friend, uh, Big Red (laughs) is going to come up and wrap this book up for us, Jeremiah. Uh, He's Tall, not big. You're not big, you're just tall. He's big boned. Um, Just to defend this idea, and it's not even defend, I I just want to say I believe prayer is the most important thing we do. And so I know sometimes when we step into this stuff, it makes people feel things. Uh, And my job is to kind of understand, okay, there's somebody over here that like loved what we just did. uh, And there's probably somebody over here that's like, that felt a little bit like I was a fish out of water. And what I want to do is just say, hey, when we come together, our job is to equip you. And the only way I know how to do that is to say, okay, do you want to learn how to pray? Do it. Do you want to learn how to lay hands on people and ask God to move? Well, you got to do it. This seems to be a great place to do it. And for so long, and I'm one of these church kids, I came to church and I sat pointing one direction and I sang the songs and they taught me, but there was less equipping and more teaching. And teaching's important, I'm about to do it. But equipping's a little bit different. Equipping is, okay, now you've been taught, now you must do. And so we wanna be a church that says, husbands, you wanna know the most powerful thing you can do? Look at, grab hands with your wife and say a 20-second prayer. You notice how I didn't say four hours? I didn't say like fast, I didn't say like, oh Lord, bless her, I didn't say any of that. I just said, Jesus, we need you. Show up in her life and bless her. That. Uh, you know what teenagers need? Moms and dads that'll step over that moment where they don't want you to touch them. And they're like, mm, get off me. And be like, God, show them how much you love them. That's what they need. We need to be a church that prays, that just invites God into things. And so that's why we do that. Uh, and I always, actually more and more lately, have been encouraging, if you, if you got struggles with that, if that, that felt weird, I'd love to talk to you about it. Because uh, about seven years ago, it felt weird to me. Me and Anna were reminiscing my wife. Uh, She's not over there. Uh, she's invisible. Um, we were reminiscing that when that started, how uncomfortable we felt. Because we don't come from a church where they say, hey, do you do this stuff? It was these people doing this stuff. But we want you doing this stuff. We want you sharing the gospel. We want you praying the prayers. We want you, every man, woman, and child in this room, we want you to minister. And I think that's a, that's a cool vision. It's a little bit bigger than, let's just have a nice church where we like to go. I'm glad you like to be here. So the book of Jude, uh, he's, he does not pull any punches. He puts full weight behind him, all right? And we're not used to it as Americans. We really want everybody to feel happy and safe and included. Inclusive language is everywhere these days. You know that? And so you get to the book of Jude, and he is not talking very inclusively. Uh, and what he's trying to do is get the Christian, here's Christians, comfortable with the idea, are there false things in the earth right now? 
Is there false teachings? Are there people saying things that are not true? We agreed. Yes, there are. And we need to be able to identify those. And not just the strong leaders, but like everybody in here, I hope if someone said to you, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, what's that created? You're like, what? No, he is. Why? Because he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You have scripture. And I want to create that desire of like, hey, someone tells you something a little bit weird, test it. Somebody tells you something according to scripture, go be a Berean. And what that means is go back to the scripture yourself and see. And what we have a problem right now in the American church is we have a discernment problem. And what I mean is discernment is the ability to look at something and know its originating place. Did that come from hell or did that come from heaven? Did that come from a demon or did that come from an angel? Did that come from the word or did that come from somebody's just like desire or undigested pizza? We have a discernment problem because we want to be gracious. We want to be loving. We want to be inclusive. In fact, when we use false teacher language, some of us get really nervous because there's whole ministries that are, their whole job, it's a YouTube thing, is to hunt people down by name and tell you that they're false. That's actually not what I'm encouraging. I want to remind you what I'm encouraging. Contending for the faith, which is where Jude starts, is not an offensive thing in my, my mind. It's more of, I want to stay as close to Jesus, as close to the truth, as close to the cross as I can and as you can. And there will be forces, and there's forces right now in the world that want to drag you away from the pure gospel of Jesus. And they want to pull you away into dreaming, into sensuality, into falseness. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And Jude's just going to keep on with it, all right? So Jude chapter 1, verse 8. we're, We're right in the middle of a thought, and I'll give you the context after we read for a second here. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now he is saying, I wanted to write to you guys. I wanted to write to you about how cool is it that Jesus saved us? How cool is it that Jesus saved us? So cool, somebody just said. The best. He's the best. And then he changes really quick, but then I had to write to you to contend for the faith. And he begins to describe these people uh, that are likened to Sodom and Gomorrah who gave themselves to sensuality. These angels that didn't know their right spot. These uh, Israelites even that were saved out of Egypt, but then in the end turned away from God. It's a warning book. It's a warning letter. It's a warning chapter because there's only one. And he's warning the Christian Take seriously the call of God. Take seriously the truth of God. Take seriously this king who's worthy of everything. Take it seriously. And he's mentioning, we talked about these false teachers. There's people that have snuck in around you and among you, and they're teaching you things that aren't true. And they're trying to get you to go with them. And he begins to explain that they do a few things. In like manner, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like angels that don't know their spot, and like Israelites that turn away from God even though he saved them, these, they rely on their dreams and therefore defile the flesh. And what was going on is they were having visions or they were having literal dreams and then basing what they could do sexually off of those dreams. Now, I've met a few teenage boys that have some pretty weird dreams. 
Anybody want to base your life off your weird sex dreams when you were 14? You're like, everyone's really serious right now? This is a joke? <laughs> Nobody does, right? But this is what's going on. You have a group of people that have come to Jesus, and they also have belonged to other religions, and a lot of those were sex cults and worship to goddesses, and it was all very sexual. And then they start on top of Jesus having dreams and visions and then telling people, it doesn't matter who you sleep with. It doesn't matter. Actually, in fact, we don't even need to be married. Let's just roll around. And obviously, Jude, the brother of Jesus, is like, no. That's actually woe to them. That's like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's like angels that don't know their spot. They're relying on their dreams and then defiling their flesh, giving their bodies to things that they should not give their bodies to. Now, what he's also fighting is the same thing Peter's fighting. Anybody heard the word Gnosticism? Gnostics? Church history will tell us there's this group that rose up very early on that was all about these revelations that they were receiving, their grand visions and dreams. It's mysticism almost. It's, there's this supernatural experience that I had, and it over and undoes what you know. So I had the vision, you must listen to me. I had the dream, therefore I am the prophet. And what the apostles all do, they come in and they go, stop it. We gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was crucified and buried and dead for three days and he rose from the dead and you came to him and you were filled with his spirit and you have his word. This is what they're doing. All the books of the Bible, the epistles, that's what they are. Stop it. Stop giving yourself to sexual things that you shouldn't. And the reality is so often we can buy into a, a Gnostic worldview that only spiritual things matter. So let me ask you a question. Does God care what you do with your body? Please say yes. If not, like, let's go get drunk. Let's go find a bunch of wives. And that sounds bad. Let's not do that. You know what I mean? Like, if it doesn't, but God cares, the work of our hands can be worship. The words of our mouth can either be cursing or blessing. The things we do physically actually express spiritual realities. And so the, the weight he's putting on is don't be like them. Don't just rely on these dreams and these visions and these caught up in these ecstasies and then give yourselves the things that Jesus saved, died to free you from. On top of that, they reject authority. Anybody ever met someone like that? I mean, I, I, at, from, from about 13 to 17, if you tried to put authority on me, I was just like, get off of me, I'm free. I don't even know why I'm walking like that, but that's how it was. Some of you were like me, right? And all too often in the church, when you have exceedingly great revelation or vision or even knowledge of the word, it leads to that. And what do the apostles do? They go, no, 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 no. Godly authority is given by God. Godly setups and structures are given by God. Even I'm not trying to go political. Even that political person that you don't like, the Bible would claim God put him there. God put her there. And we are called to pray for them. You see how the Bible's challenging us? And instead we could say, well, I had a vision that he's not even supposed to be the president. And then what are we doing? Well, we're fighting scripture with some weird opinion is what it is. And so then we reject authority and we blaspheme the glorious ones. And he gives us an example. Uh, an example, actually, from the ascension of Moses, which probably none of us have read, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, 
But he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So he's either talking about an apocryphal book called The Ascension of Moses. So when Moses dies, what do they do with his body? Uh, and apparently in Jewish culture, there is this idea that Satan wanted to find out where Moses' body was at. And so Gabriel, the mighty angel of the Lord, or is it Michael, sorry, Michael, uh, the mighty angel of the Lord, confronts the devil, but Michael knows how things work in the heavens. He knows that God's up here and Satan is not on the same level. So Michael doesn't rebuke Satan. He says, the Lord will rebuke you. That's authority. That's understanding how things work. But so often what would happen in these, the times of Jude, you get these boisterous, they're kind of prideful, they're a little haughty, they think they know a whole heck of a lot, and they start condemning things they should never condemn. They, they start rebuking things, angels, angelic entities, God himself even, when they should keep their mouth shut. They speak about what they do not understand. And so often, this is our temptation too, that we haven't had a spiritual experience or we don't understand a part of scripture and so we speak against it because we don't understand it. But they were doing it on a level uh, that Jude starts to cry out woe on them, which is the very next thing he says. And if anyone ever says to you, woe for you, that's the biblical term of like, watch out, lightning's about to hit. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. So he starts to describe what a false teacher is like at the depth of who they are. And they mimic three heirs that are in the Old Testament. Now we've done reading plans, but everybody know who Cain is? Cain kills who? And he, so they bring sacrifices, they bring offerings to God. Abel's was pleasing to the Lord and Cain's was not. And that the problem wasn't so much the offering, it was what it created in Cain's heart. Cain could have gone, come back, repented, be like, I, I brought the wrong thing, here's the right thing. But instead he got jealous and he got murderous and he killed his brother. This is the same thing these false prophets are doing in Jude's time. Then there's Balaam who actually is called a good prophet, but really, in reality, he takes money to speak the words of God in the Old Testament. And so he's kind of like hoarding out the things of God to profit himself, and he's a bad example in the end. And then you have Korah. Anybody know what happened to Korah? You have Moses, which is God's man, walking in humility. He goes up to the mountain. The guy's face glows. He's the leader of God's people. Korah and a guy named Dan, and a guy named uh, Abraham uh, challenged Moses' leadership. They, they rebuke the servant of God, the one that's supposed to be in authority. And so what happens is God's like, basically, Moses, I'm going to blow him up. And Moses actually goes out and he appeals, God, don't do it. Save them. They don't know. He goes to these men and he, he, he pleads with them to change their mind. But in the end, they won't. And so God, literally, Moses is like, if you're with Korah, go over there. Go over there with their tents and all their people. And then the, the Bible says the earth opened up and swallowed up Korah and all his tents and all his people and then overflowed or covered them over. I just picture standing there. I say, if you're with, I'm not going to name a name in the room because you all think I'm calling you a false prophet, but 
go with whoever over there. And then the ground literally is like, and then you're like, well, I think they were wrong. I think they were believing some wrong stuff. These same false teachers, these same men and women in in this early church in Jude, he's like, that's what's coming for them. Don't follow them. He continues with, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And he just, he just is like, I'm going to tell you clearly what they are and what they're not, and they're not alive, is what he just says. On the outside, they're saying some things that sound spiritual, but on the inside, they're uprooted trees. They're like comets that are shooting across the sky, but then go into dark nothingness. Uh, They are like clouds that don't have any rain, pointless and useless. They are blown by the wind here, and then they're blown by the wind there. They're unsteady, unrooted, and not should be listened to at all. The reality, though, and this is all about these guys back then, they're in the church. Do you notice that? They're at their love feasts. They're at their communion tables. They're in the body. They're right there next to them. Enough to where it says they are hidden reefs at your love feast. So the love feast is they would get together, they would celebrate communion, they would share in fellowship and love, and they would be basically, God loves me, I love God, and imagine hitting or shipwrecking on a coral reef. It catches you up, and you're not running in the love of God anymore. You're not running in faith anymore. You're caught up in expansive visions with these people over here. You're giving, you're like, it doesn't matter who you sleep with. Go ahead, grace. So if they're in the church, and obviously there's some woe coming for these false teachers, he continues and he's going to describe some of their behaviors. And that's where I think, uh, like I said, I don't think the application of any of this scripture is for the rest, rest of our days at this church to just look at everybody. Now, we're not hunting here. We're guarding our own hearts. We're actually saying, okay, am I standing with Jesus and Jesus alone? Has anything polluted it? Am I, over, am I giving myself to anything that Jesus would not have me give myself to because someone told me it was okay? Or I had a dream or a vision or, or I just feel that it's okay for we fill in the blank. If I could tell you in the last six months how many times I've heard that statement, I just feel it's okay. Sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I just feel it's okay for Christians to be gay. I just feel like it's okay to, you know, we don't have to hate anybody. Love, man. It's, I just feel. You hear the statement? I just, it's all me, and I feel. Anybody have weird feelings or bad feelings? You ever have a bad day? You ever have a day even this week where you're like, I just hate life and people and they're stupid? So let's base our theology off the word and what's true and not what we feel. And what's driving a lot of the generation right now is feelings. Because the reality is there are things that feel good that we can explain and go, okay, God will help me do this, that are not things that God would have us do. And I'm speaking in code because there's people in the room that are young. Y'all picking up what I'm saying? It's not about my feelings. 
And he continues, and he gives one more apocryphal book, the book of Enoch, which, once again, we have not read, and it's not in our Bibles on purpose, but it says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents. Following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Now, we're going to zoom in on those last five things. Um, but do you notice that Jude is not afraid to say that there's a way that the godly are? And then he's definitely going, there's some ungodliness here. You see how he's not afraid to make the distinction? And so often, we're really afraid to do that. That's ungodly. That's godly. You know we can know that, right? You know, the Bible actually lays a path out that there is a way that the godly will live, the righteous will walk. That there's a way that those that belong to Jesus Christ and have crucified the flesh will live, think, and act. And there's a way that those that have not been crucified with Christ and do not belong to God, who are ungodly, they do not have God in them, will live and think and walk. And that it's not a wrong thinking or a judgmental thinking to go, the way of godliness is here and the way of destruction is here. This is biblical thinking. There's distinction is what I mean. And when I said that we have a, a, a discernment problem, it's, it's almost just like a, a cowardness problem. We don't want to call things evil that the Bible does. We don't want to call things sin that are clearly sinful because that'll hurt their feelings. And now, there's a way to do this that you can be a big old jerk, and there's a way that you can do this under the guidance and love of the Holy Spirit of God, and you can call an ungodly sinner into righteousness. There's a way to do it. But he lists some things, and the things are, they're actually convicting to me. He's describing these false ones, these Gnostics, these ones that are giving themselves sensually, these ones that are not walking in a godly manner, these ones that are like Cain and Balaam and Korah. He says they do a few things, and I have noticed a few of these things in my own heart from time to time, and so that's, I think that's the application for today. As you read these things, as we talk about them, do you notice them in you? He says they're grumblers. Everybody know what grumbling is? I just heard like a sound that sounded a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when, like I do it all the time, and sometimes it, it, the, the reality is grumbling is when your heart, this is my head, my head and my heart are at odds. So what happens is I say with my head, I love Jesus. And so then if I love Jesus, then I, I have to go die to myself. And then sometimes my heart doesn't really want to do that. And I grumble. Oh, why is it so hard? Why won't you just give me what I deserve? Why are you doing this to me? It's the grumbles, the grumbles. Uh, you can even see, take it out of the realm of spiritual life, right? Uh, Men, you ever been on like whatever tiny night's trash night? Uh, and you know darn well you're going to take that trash out, but you're sitting on the couch. <laughs> and the wife, she says, hey, trash night. Take that out. And what happens? What, what happens? You literally might go do it. So you're doing the action, but you're like, I freaking knew this is stupid trash. I was going to do it anyway. That's grumbling. It reveals 
that there's not the love of God and the peace of God. There's, there's a disconnect between the head and the heart. And so when you look at church culture, anybody known some grumblers in the church? We're like professionals. And for whatever reason, we've decided that it is okay to grumble. But Moses literally tells a group of people, go over there, and the earth swallows them up for what? Grumbling. They just grumbled. 40, 40 years in the desert, they're just grumbling the whole time. God, I wish I could go back to Egypt. I want some leeks. Uh, I just want to eat the food of Egypt. Oh, go back to the... That's grumbling. That's fighting the things of God because you're not, you've given your mouth to it or maybe some assent to it or an intellectual, I belong to Jesus, but your heart's far away from it. And there's, a, there's like a, it's rubbing. There's a, there's a, ah, oh, I don't like it. The opposite of this is when I have learned to be content in all things, whether in plenty or in want or in sickness or in health. I'm, this is this is the language of those that have found that their heart is content in the Lord. And they can be in prison, and they're not grumbling. They're worshiping. They can be in the throes of sickness or woe, and they are not grumbling against the Lord. Why? Because they have, they have rooted that out of their heart. Do you see any grumbling in you? Like if we just sat at Taco Bell, the greatest restaurant on the earth, and we... <laughs> We ate whatever we ate, just all that magic beans. Um, and we talked about, I just got that look, that was good. You're like, Ugh. I agree. And I say, is there any places in your heart or in your life, and it doesn't have to just be the church or your home, that you're, you're prone to grumble? And typically we groan and we grumble not against ourselves. We groan against either, we blame people, husband, wife, roommates, so we grumble against them. Or ultimately, you know who we're grumbling against? The Lord. We grumble. Uh, when I signed up to follow you, I signed up for health and wealth and happiness. When I said I'd follow you, I meant my kids would be healthy. When I said yes, Jesus, I, I meant that I would, I'd, be, I'd be safe. And we start to grumble because that was actually not, he invited you to follow him. And I don't know where you know Jesus' life led, but it led to a cross. It led to him laying his life down. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe your grumblings because life's dealt you an unfair shake, but somewhere deep in the human heart when life deals us something we don't think fair, you know who we blame? And then we grumble. So just let the Lord do a little heart surgery today. Is there grumbling in there? And then he says they are malcontents, which I had to look up. Guess it just means they're not content. Discontented and rebellious. Anybody ever been discontented in your life? Just, just raise your hand. Just do it. Just, it feels good. It feels like honesty, right? Now, with all these things, my mic is just stupid today. With all these things, I think in some level, I like to preach both, which is this. I think there's moments in my life that I can identify a holy discontentment. Does anyone know what that looks like? Where you're, you're not satisfied with where you are with God, you don't like where your life's at, and that's because God put it on you. Because he wants to send you somewhere. He doesn't want you comfortable. He wants you wholly discontented. There's other moments where God has provided, God has shown up, God has spoken, God has saved, and you are still just like so unhappy with all of it. 
And you're like, why don't I have more? And so these, back in Jude's day, I see this a lot too. We always want the more. And so if you want more, I'll, I'll preach a, a, a little mini sermon. If you want more, what are you doing with what you have? What are you doing with what you have? Because there's, there's teaching in the word about talents and those that are faithful to use what God's given them. And if they do it, he'll give them more. So often, and this is like a plague on American Christianity, we go from, you're gonna go, some of you are going to go from this sermon to your favorite podcast of the best guy on the planet to this midweek, you're going to listen to another one. And then your friend's going to text you, oh, bro, look what I found on the, blah. and you're going to watch that. And then you're going to go do your Beth Moore study. Uh, and then you're going to go do your She Reads Truth thing. And you're, you're going to be so stuffed with knowledge and so stuffed with instruction and teaching. And I think the question, when I think malcontent, like you're like, I want more, the remedy is that I, if, generally, if we sat down again, are you using what you got? So if the Bible says, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who hate you, doing that? If the word says that we are to be the generous people of God, we hold things open-handed. Money doesn't own us, we, oh, God does. And so if he says, hey, pay for their groceries, if that happened this week, would you do it? Are you doing what you already know? And some of you, you don't know a lot, so you're like, I am, good. But some of us, we know a whole heck of a lot. We know we're supposed to watch our mouths. We know we shouldn't be watching what we're watching. We know that we're not full of peace and love and joy and patience and all the fruits of this. We know. We know a lot, but there's a disconnect. And so it's creating murmuring. It's creating grumbling. It's creating malcontention. And then it says they are following their own sinful desires. I see this in the church on a regular. Maybe not this one as much. I need to fix this. I'm done with it. I sound good? That's so encouraging. Thank you. Ugh. These sermons, these messages, what, the growl? That, sounded, that didn't sound good? Ugh. Do you feel the weight, though? So Jude comes in here, and he's like, there's false teachers, and woe is them, and they're going to get buried in the earth, and there's blah, blah, blah. And then you, you try to like, okay, this is exegetical preaching. We're going to go line by line. We're going to tell you what it means, and we're going to try to apply it. And then you say it to a room like this, and everybody in the room right now is like this. Because it's not, it's, you know what I mean? And so as a preacher, you're going to be like, I, I can't care what you think. i got to tell you what it says. And there's people in the church that all too often, they're, they're going, I'm going to go do this, and then they'll put God on it. They'll be like, because God wants me to be happy. Uh, careful, because that excuse has led a lot of people to sin and damnation. And so, so often what we'll do is, be, I, because I want to sleep with who I want, I will go back to Scripture, and I'll even go back to the Greek, and I'll turn it. So I get to do what I want. That's ultimately following our own desires. And I'll even put it on even a practical level. When, when if I was to say this last week, can you identify a moment that God led you? Now what's settling into the room very quickly is either some kind of like conviction or shame. Shame's not from God. There, you are children of God. 
filled with the Spirit of God. And what he promises to do is lead you. So often, though, we get into our life, we get into our businesses, we get into our, our regular rhythm, right? From the moment you brush your teeth in the morning and have that first thought of like, I should pray, to all of a sudden you're on the couch at the end of the day and you're like, how'd I get here? Do you ever feel that? God has invited us not to just get torn through the current of the day, but to be led by the Spirit of God, to walk with him. And where you don't connect to him during the day, what you sometimes find yourself doing, and I see it in a lot of liberal churches, you end up following your own desires. And it's really easy then to relabel those desires as, well, God doesn't really care about that. I think God does care about a lot of the stuff that people are saying he doesn't care about. He says they're loudmouth boasters. And maybe this one convicts me the most. I'm loud sometimes. But have you ever met somebody that seems to talk about themselves a little too much? They're loud about it too. Uh, this is a telltale sign of someone who is, uh, the bravado is false because they're trying to hide something that's going on in the back. They're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. And over and over again in the Bible, it tells us like, do not give the best place to the richest people. It tells us, don't play favorites. It says, in the kingdom of God, we're all on equal level ground. There is this like uh, ministry of the sainthood of, of, of the people of God. I just, that term just went out of my head. You and I, you and, you and I are this in the kingdom. No one's higher. And so if you see someone come in and they buddy, buddy up the guy, I've had people do this to me. They'll come from another church. They try to find out who's the leader, and all of a sudden, they are really friendly to me. Until the moment I, they come to me and I say, you can't teach here. No, you, you can't teach a Bible study about how to visit the third heaven. And very quickly, they change, and they leave. It's, and take it in another thing. They, a lot of people come, and they, it's not wrong to want to lead but we put a really big weight in the modern church on leadership and teaching gifts. Everybody wants to be a leader and everybody wants to teach. Guess what the Bible says nobody should want to do? Teach and lead, because you'll be under better, greater judgment. And so what you see is the things that Jude's calling out, as far as I can tell, are very still alive. As far as I can tell, I see some grumble. Even in my own heart, I see grumbling. And, I'm, and as soon as I start to, I'm like, all right, that revealed my heart. God, deal with my heart. So every once in a while, I'll see this discontentment show up that I, I'm convinced is not of the Lord. It's just me. I want something new. I don't like doing the normal. I'm bored. That's not a reason to abort the things that God has put into your life. Every once in a while, hey, I just want to watch this show because I just want to watch this show. You ever have that moment and you end up following a desire that's not the Lord? All of these are alive in me, so I can assume, and I know what happens when we assume, I can assume that they're alive in you. And if that's true, then what Jude would say is, well, let's identify it for what it is. It's wrong, it's sinful, it's still the, the flesh of me, and let's put some of it to death today. So what I like to do is I wanna pray. And this is how we're gonna end. The band's not gonna come back up. Uh, we're gonna jump right back into prayer. And I want to let the Lord minister.
which means if he's identifying grumbling, you must come to the Lord, the living Savior, and go, God, there's grumbling in my heart. I don't want it, and I identify it as sinful and wrong. Remove it and replace with it a satisfaction and a contentment in you. That's how this works. So often we come to God and we're like, God, fix me. And he's like, first of all, own it. Repent of it. Identify it. And then let me remove it and replace it. So, Father, we just come to you with your word. Um, It's not a fun one, God. But I thank you because you're a good father. you, You actually discipline your kids. And so, Father, I ask for the Holy Spirit to come minister in this room. We, we actually give you this room. You're, you're the best minister. You're the best preacher. And so just as you do, as gently as you always do, would you just start to identify any grumbling? Show us places that we're not content, and it's not holy. Show us places, Lord, where we're following our own sinful desires. Search our hearts, O oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in us, and then lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, if we're, if we're full of boasting, if we're trying to manipulate people so we can get something we think we are owed, Holy Spirit of the living God, come and bring conviction. And if you start to feel the Lord identify those things, You need to own it. You need to say, yep, I see that, God. And godly repentance leads to godly remorse, which is I do not want it there. And then you bring that to your Father in heaven in the name of Jesus, and you say, Father, I repent of that thing, of that grumbling, of that discontentment. Make me content in you. And you lay down the thing you're bitter of. You lay down what you grumble about. You lay down the thing, like, Physically in my mind, I could see myself laying down situations, laying down people, laying down stuff that I don't need to have my hands on, coming over to God and picking up my cross and picking up contentment in him and picking up and walking with the Son of God. Yeah, Father, I thank you that for the rest of our lives, we get to do this. We get to repent. We get to confess. We get to come back. And for all the millions of times that I've fallen short, you've never left me. You've never forsaken me. Nothing has separated me from your love. And I pray that over this body, that we would, in the depths of our being, know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not sin, not death, not Satan, not demons, not anything. That you have never left us or forsaken us. That once we were in Christ, we were all going to be in him. And so God, we just say yes to you this week. That we wouldn't just follow the stream. That you would break in, Father. That you would lead every one of your children in this room. 
Even right now, tell them where to go. Tell them what to do. Lead them to share the gospel. Put a boldness in them like that of the New Testament. Show off your glory through these jars of clay. Abba, I thank you that they're your kids too. Would you open up the eyes of their heart to understand the depth of your love, to see things in your word they've never seen, to love you more than the things of earth. And I pray the things of earth would grow gray and strangely dim this week. And that the things of heaven and the man Jesus Christ would be vivid in living color in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.